You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We have been talking about taking a road trip, and this series was actually supposed to lead us into the move. But uh, because the move kept getting bumped, the series is getting longer. So, uh, so we're like at 10 weeks now. <laughs> this was supposed to be like a four to five week series. Uh, but what it's enabled us to do is actually dig a little bit deeper into the concepts of the series, which is um, understanding the adventure of the road trip and getting to hear God's voice and discerning God's voice and understanding how to travel this adventure of life. And so today we're going to pick that up. And, and uh, you know, it's really been great that it has been drawn out because it's prepared our heart a little bit more. And I think some of this teaching has been great. Uh, so we've been diving into the issues of hearing God. Uh, there are times when you're faced with such big challenges that you can't help but wonder, should I fight or should I flight? The question today, the big question today is when something about life stinks, should I hang in or should I move on, right? And so we, we've talked a few weeks ago about making decisions, but we're going to kind of highlight a specific category, and that is when, when life gets so hard at work, at a job, your family, your marriage, a situation with a friend, at some point, is there a moment when you say, okay, it's time to move on, or should you stay and, and just be strong and persevere, and should you fight? Or flight. Now, to give credit where credit is due, some of this uh, material has been inspired by Larry Osborne, one of my favorite uh, speakers, pastor out of California. So just wanted to let you know that, that if you want to dive a little bit more into this topic, you can uh, follow up with Larry Osborne. So this idea of when life stinks, should I hang in or should I move on? And in the context of our series, here's the image. It's the fork in the road. It's the fork in the road. You're on the road trip of life. You get to a part where it says right or left, and should you stay the course or should you take the turn? And so we're going to ask that challenging question, but before we do, let's, uh, I'm going to give you the simple answer. If we just had like 10 minutes after church, here's the simple answer. If we were talking briefly, I would tell you this. It's found in 1 Corinthians 7, very simple verse. Paul is dealing with the challenges of being single. He talks about the challenges of being married. He talks about the challenges of the workplace and the context of what they uh, and how they live. They have indentured servitude, which is uh, translated into the word slave in the Bible. When we see slave in the Bible is not uh, roots. It is not people who are stolen from their from their land and taken, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles away and forced into, you know, a, you know, kind of a an animal-like treatment. No, this was a bonded servant. This was uh, um, so. When you see that in the Bible, don't 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 ever 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 think the Bible encourages that kind of behavior of slavery. So, uh, in our context, indentured servitude would be more like a, a job uh, where you have to go to work. You man, you're you're forced to be there. So, in this chapter, in se- in chapter seven, he talks about the challenges of being single the challenges of being married, the challenges of having commitment to work and social backgrounds and how we come from some of us rich backgrounds, some of us poor backgrounds, some of us middle income, just the social challenges. After he talks about all of them, he says this in verse 17. He says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. 
This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. So the simple answer is, should I, should I fight or should I flight? Should I stay? Should I stay or should I go? You know, what should I do? Here's the simple answer. If you can't get out of pain or a problem ethically, hang in there. Okay? Bloom where you're planted. God has a plan in the midst of your trial, whatever the situation the Lord has assigned you. That would be the simple answer. Based on that passage, he says, whatever situation the Lord has assigned you to, just live there. Be a believer in whatever context you have to be in. If you can't get out of it ethically, you know, you know, if you can't get out of it in a way, how do you know if it's ethically or not? Well, that's the question we're going to answer today. But initially, the first answer is, if you can stay there, stay there if you can't get out ethically. But then he says this in verse 20. He says, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. All right, same idea. But he says, uh, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. So the idea is bloom where you're planted at, but if you can get out in a God-honoring way, do it. Get out. So the second thing is this, a simple answer. If you can get out of pain or a problem ethically, well, get out as soon as possible. So if you can't get out ethically, stay put, stay firm, stand strong, just hang in there. But if you can get out ethically in a way that honors God and honors those around you, then get out as soon as possible. Realize this. God has not called us to suffer for suffering's sake. You're not like a self-appointed martyr. You know, I'm just, it's hard. It's hard. You know, there are some people, they just relish in the pain. And half the time I talk to some people, they're like, how's it going? It's hard, man. It's hard. Life's hard. Job's hard. Family's hard. Life's hard. Oh, it's hard. Well, you know, hang in there, man. (laughs) You know, hang in there. But if you can get out ethically in a way that honors God, well, get out because God doesn't, he's not, he doesn't have you, he doesn't love you suffering. Uh, however, he does put us in places of tension in order to mature us and chisel us. We're going to talk about that in a second. But realize God does not take pleasure in your pain. We're not called to suffer for suffering's sake. We are called to suffer for righteousness sake, for the sake of the gospel. So get out if you can. If you can avoid pain ethically, do it. But if you can't, embrace it. It's like this. Think about boxing. You know, like if you're in a match and you feel like you're being overpowered, you know, what they often do is is they'll they'll just lean in. They'll just lean in. They'll just keep moving in. This guy's throwing punches at you. And what they do is they just lean in to where they they can't land a sock, right? They can't land a punch. So here's the day. You feel like life is punching at you and you can't get out. Well, just lean in. (laughs) Lean into it. Embrace it. Right? But if you can get out, get out. Bloom where you're planted. The first thing is this. Uh, the basic rule of life is that. Bloom where you're planted. But there are exceptions. So when there is an opportunity for you to, to get out of a situation and you want to know if it's, if it's God's will to stay or, or to go, then you need to ask yourself some questions. But before I give you those four questions, I need to clear up something so that you can know the difference between a temptation and a trial, because a lot of times we confuse the two of them. Something that a lot of Christians seem to miss is this, is that temptation is this, when we have a desire to do something wrong. And sometimes we give into it, and it causes trouble in our life. 
And then we think, God, I'm going through a hard season. You're like, no, you're going through the consequences of temptation that you gave into. And you're, you're living the fruit of your poor choices, right? So don't confuse that temptation and the consequences of that temptation and that sin with a hardship. Because a hardship is this. A trial is when we face a hardship that's external that is coming at us, and it could be an internal hardship too. It could be emotional. It could be a challenge inside. Sometimes we look at our temptations as a hardship. God, just give me the strength to say no, right? We think it's been, man, I'm struggling. It's been a hard week this week. Well, that's not a hardship. That's temptation. If I have a strong desire to do something strong or if I have a strong desire to do something wrong, that's not a trial. That's me dealing with the flesh, right? So God does not send temptation. We're going to take a look at the verse for that in a minute. Temptation can, however, bring difficult situations when we make the poor choices of giving into it. But that's not a hardship or a trial. God does not tempt. However, God, listen to this, does allow hardship. God does allow trials. Notice this verse in 1 Peter 4, 19. He says, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator, and continue to do good. See, there's going to come times when God allows you to endure or allows you to have hardship, and your response is to endure. Knowing the difference is important because how we deal with temptation and how we deal with trials are different. Each one of them has to be dealt with differently. And here's the strategy with dealing with each, okay? The first one is this. When facing a temptation, we win by running from it. When facing a hardship, we win by standing up to it. And what we kind of do is we tend to reverse the two. We tend to try to stand firm against temptation, and then we run from hardship. But it's just the opposite. See, let's take a look at the first one. When we face temptation, we are to flee. We are to run. We often think running is a sign of weakness, but actually it just... It's just the opposite. It's wise. It's, it's, it's what will help you to stand strong against the attacks of temptation. See, what we think is, man, if I can just stand up to it, if I can just pray through this temptation, if I, man, if I just quoted more verses in the midst of this temptation, if I just toughen up, if I'm just committed really strong, I can win and beat this temptation. See, we often try to stand firm against temptation. We are not called to stand firm against temptation. We are called to run from temptation. We're like, well, that's not what I thought. Well, well, some people, they thought they were running strong enough, but then they end up falling. I see it all the time. Even men of God, women of God, preachers, Christians, you know, we look around and we're like, man, all these people there who I respected, who loved Jesus, they're like, they're falling into sin. They, they've committed adultery or their marriage is falling apart or their, you know, their secret life is not what you thought. And that's because they think they're strong enough to stand firm against temptation rather than running from it. Jesus gives us an example of that in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 29. He says, if your right causes you to stumble, if that's where the temptation is coming from, then get glasses, he says. If your right eye is causing you to stumble, then just look away. If your right eye is causing you to stumble, then just make that eye stronger. Look at some verses instead. No, what it says is, 
He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, if that's the place where your temptation is coming from, he says, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, I want you to know that this is hyperbole. Don't come to church next week with patches on your eye. Because all of y'all went home and said, man, the Bible said, you know, wouldn't that be something if we actually did that? We'd all have, we'd all be blind. <laughs> yeah, we'd, yeah, we'd all be pirates. Maybe we'd learn our lesson after the first eye, right? says, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right eye, a right hand, causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Basically, the idea is this, don't toy with it. Get rid of it. This is not about getting stronger and dealing with it. This is about fleeing from it, getting rid of it, getting away from it. It's important to realize temptation for you may not be temptation for me. We all have different lures. Like, we, what is a lure for me may not be your lure. You know, a lot of us deal with common lures, you know, whether it be maybe lust or certain, or, or greed or envy, whatever it is for a large mass of people. But each one of us have our own lure, right? And so we need to understand that really the question is not, man, if I just quote more verses, spend more time in prayer, you know, this is the deal. We have different lures, but once you recognize it, get rid of it. Get it out. Run from it. Remove it from your life. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee sexual immorality. Probably one of the greatest temptations on the planet is sexual temptation. If you're single and you're struggling with being pure with your boyfriend or girlfriend, the answer is not to get alone together and pray. Let's pray. If you're struggling, the answer is not a private Bible study on purity. It's not about learning and quoting and getting stronger and being more committed. It is about stop putting yourself in that situation. Flee from that situation. King David himself, because he was isolating himself and did not run from the situation, what he did is he said, where's the binoculars? As he saw Bathsheba bathing on the other side of his uh, apartment complex over on the other building, he saw a woman bathing, and it was a whole spiral of poor choices instead of fleeing from it. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10 says that we are to also flee money temptations, like love of money, greed, envy, which leads to theft and cheating. The answer is not get more spiritual, learn more about money, the, the answer is not to just to become more knowledgeable and more informed. The answer is this. It says, it says, flee from the love of money. He says, but you, man and woman of God, flee from this, from all of this, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, he challenges us to flee evil desires from our youth. Selfish, lustful desires that entice us our whole life. Listen, young people, I know you're struggling. And guess what? Your mom and dad are struggling too. Young adults, I know you're struggling. And guess what? I'm struggling too. There are things that have been in our lives since we've been kids. And instead of trying to run from them, you know what we've been trying to do for the last 20, 30 years? 
is try to deal with them, keep them close and resist them and, and, to, and to, to kind of try to get stronger with them. And, and what we need to do is just flee. Get them out of our life. Stop putting ourselves in that situation. Stop leading them along with you like little children that you think that you can control because you can't. Even the Apostle Paul dealt with this issue when it comes to dealing with the struggle of temptation. He said in Romans chapter 7, he says this, I find uh, the, the, that the laws at work this way. He says, although I, I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He says, man, the things I want to do, I don't always do. And the things I should be doing, you know, I'm not doing it, but the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing that too. And then he says this, he says, verse 24, and we've all said this about ourselves. He says, what a wretched man am I? And you've just blown it. You've given in to temptation. You're like, man, I'm a, I'm a wretched man. I'm a wretched woman. What have I done? And then he says this, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? The answer, he says, is not getting stronger in the knowledge of God's word. He's writing God's word. And it's not just this whole idea of just praying more and, and just, you know, just kind of getting stronger, more committed. He says this, the only answer is this. He says, who will save me? And he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus, our Lord. It's not about trying to get stronger about something. It's about running to something. And in this case, the Bible says to overcome temptation, we flee from it and run to Jesus. See, when we toy with and keep temptation around, we will fall. It's just a matter of time. Any other strategy other than run from temptation is doomed. So what about the other? When facing hardship, we win by standing up to it. Emotional attacks, depression, discouragement, loneliness, attacks from the enemy, persecution, trials, and trials because of our faith in Jesus. This hardship is not won by running from it, but standing up to it. The word uses this to describe it, perseverance. It's a fruit of the Spirit. But over and over, even Jesus said, those that persevere to the end shall be saved. He says, you will have hardship. And it's coming your way. But those who persevere, who stand strong, those that endure, those that can stay planted in a place of trial, you shall be saved. This is what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said in James 1, 2. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, standing strong. Let perseverance, standing strong, standing firm, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom about your hardship, about your trial, about the situation you're in, if you're lacking hardship, you should ask God who gives generously to all without fault and will be given to you. He's like, man, if you're going through a trial, stand strong. And if you still can't figure it out, if you're still struggling, if you still need guidance, he says, he says, talk to God. Prayer. Run to Jesus. Stand firm in that hardship. Verse 12, he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because 
having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And to make sure there's no confusion between trials and temptation, he says this. He talked about trials, and then he says, however, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil when it comes to hardship, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. If you run from the enemy, he will chase you. All right? It's like if you're, if you're like an outdoorsman, you know, one of the last things they tell you to do when you see a bear or some beast is they say, stand your ground, <laughs> right? Stand your ground. We're watching this series on TV called Zoo. And the idea is that the animals have decided enough is enough. And all the animals around the world with some kind of genetic breakdown are turning on mankind. That's everything from lions and polar bears to the household cat. They're all turning on people. And there's this idea that this bear walked in and this, they go like, stand your ground. And one guy in the back says, and he starts, and he darts, and all of a sudden, that bear is all after him, right? And the idea is that we don't want to stand firm. But if you stand your ground when the enemy attacks, he will flee from you. But what we do is we see that hardship and we get that attack from the enemy and we know when the enemy's coming at us and we're like, uh-uh, I'm getting myself out of this situation. You see, he just said the temptation is most often the fruit of our own selfish desires. We all have a problem that we're born with. It's a disease called sin. And we have this inclination or bent towards selfish behavior, sinful nature, right? So a lot of our struggles with sin sometimes are the attack of the enemy, directing us and luring us with what we are weak at. But most of the time, he's just playing up on our own selfish desires. So temptation, which is a result of our own selfish desires, we run from. Hardship, which is most often an attack from the enemy or an an external attack on who we are as a person or our situation, we are to stand firm in. So knowing the difference when to fight and when to flight is important when knowing the difference between temptation and a trial. He says this, Ephesians 6.13, as far as standing firm in the face of hardship, says, therefore put on the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, the attack of the enemy, says you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. It's like when you're done standing and you feel like you can't take anymore, lean in, lean in and stand firm. Plant your feet. 1 Peter 5a says, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So he says, run and hide. No, he doesn't say that. He says, so resist him. Stand firm. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of hardship or suffering. You see, when hardship comes, stand firm. Stand your ground. Resist the enemy. 
This is about trials, not temptation. And the God of grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, if you stand firm, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So what if instead of standing firm, we ran from every attack or every hardship or every trial? What if we flighted on every hardship that came our way? Well, then God would not be able to restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. It's only when we understand that we are to stand firm in the midst of that trial that God then completes a mature work in us. So we tend to do the opposite. We try to stand up to temptation, and we fail. We might win a couple times, but we try to stand against temptation, which is always going to be doomed, and we tend to run from hardship, and then we wonder why we can't get our life together. Well, now with that, how do we know when to fight and when to flight? Money problems. Maybe you got some money problems here. You're like, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should file bankruptcy. I don't know if I should quit my job. Money's just not coming in or... You know, uh, marriage is struggling. You know, we're not talking anymore. We're not in the same room anymore. We're just, we're just roommates, and even that, we're not friends anymore. What should I do? Uh, job, man, not, I'm making money, but, man, the place is just not a place I want to be. I don't like working there. Uh, maybe you've got school challenges. Should I stay in school? Should I not stay in school? Should I join this sport activity? Should I not join this sport activity? Potential opportunities, what do I do? Four questions when making a tough decision at the fork in the road. All right, we're going to, this is going to go pretty fast. Is this, number one, is this, what does God say? Very simple. What does God say? The number one foundation question to ask every time you have a decision to make is, what does God say? Now, the primary way that God speaks is through his word and through the Holy Spirit. And he's most often to speak through the Holy Spirit when we know more of his word. Okay, 95% of every question you have about a direction in your life is going to give you an answer through God's word, through a principle in God's word. Understand this, however, the Holy Spirit in your heart will never contradict his own word. So if God's word says one thing, but your heart says another, that's not the Holy Spirit. Okay, if the word of God says one thing, but yet you feel that maybe this is what you should do, even though God's word says opposite, that's not the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy says this, verse uh, chapter three, verse 16, it says, all scripture is God breathed and useful for this, for teaching, for rebuking, that means saying you're wrong, for correcting, that means putting you on the right track, and for training, that means maturing you in righteousness. So that the servant of God may thoroughly be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But you see, but I have this strong feeling that I should be doing this. I have this sense. And there's this reason why. Well, I guarantee you, if it contradicts God's word, it's not the Holy Spirit at work. I see it all the time. People who make a choice maybe to move in together when they know the Bible says opposite of that. Or, or a single adult who feels like, you know what, I just, you know, we love each other, so we're going to start having sex together. Well, that's, that's, that's a doomed relationship or an unhealthy relationship that you've begun because it, it tends to prolong unhealthy relationships and ruin a good relationship, and that's not what God's plan for you is. But I have this feeling, but we really like each other, but I think I'm ready. Well, it's not the Holy Spirit if it contradicts God's word. And I tell you, God loves you. He loves you deeply. He created you. He knows how life works 
best as the creator of all things. Like, well, you know, I've got this money situation. If I just kind of start skimming a little bit over here and skim a little bit over here and start maybe using this kind of resource privately and see, you know what? Stop. What does God ask? What does God say about that? That tough decision will be pretty much answered most of the time through that. But God does not talk about everything. Let's be honest. The Bible doesn't answer every question. So what do we do next? Sometimes there are biblical principles, and other times when God does not have something to say about it, here's the second question you ask is, what do the facts say? That is, what does the fox say? In case you were wondering what kind of nonsense that was. Okay. What? What does the facts say? All right, what do, what do the facts say? Proverbs 13, 6 says, All who are prudent act with knowledge, but fools expose their folly because they didn't know the facts. They don't have a clear understanding. Another question, another way to ask this question is, what is the wise thing to do? Be informed. What do the facts say? Proverbs 19.2 says, desire without knowledge is not good. Wanting something without thinking it through is not good. All right? How much more will hasty feet miss the way? So like, man, I want to do this. I'm just going to, I'm going to do this. Sign me up. I'm doing it. I'm going to do, and you pursue, without, without thinking it through, it says, hasty feet miss the way. That means you're going to lead yourself to a potentially financially dangerous place, relationally unhealthy place. Hasty feet miss the way. You're going to say, verse 3, a person's own folly, that means unprepared, that means without the knowledge of a, of a plan, a person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. That means you didn't think it through, you, you, you made a choice on something. You didn't think it through. You just kind of went. You let your heart be your guide. You know, the Bible's not very clear on us, so you just kind of went with a, with a feeling, and you didn't really get the facts, and guess what? It didn't go right, and what do we do? We rage against God. Man, God, why did you let this happen to me? Why did you put me in this situation? Well, the proverb says, you're the fool, man. They're poor, informed decisions, yet they're angry at God. Proverbs 22.3 says, the prudent see danger and take refuge. That means they, they look ahead, they're aware, they get the facts. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. That means they don't see the warning signs and they keep going. Sometimes we get involved in something and we realize that maybe it's not the right thing. It's not too late. Turn around. See, the prudent see the signs, and they, they put the brakes on something and pull out. But, whoo, Spider-Man's coming. They don't see the warning signs and keep going. Most often we act out of assumption, a guess, rather than what we know, facts. Then we end up paying the dumb tax. Uh, the, uh, Dave Ramsey calls it the stupid tax. Every time you do something without planning or without knowledge or without getting the facts, and it ends up costing you money, you know, like a speeding ticket or a fine or a fee or a, a late fee or some kind of situation where it costs you something, you pay the dumb tax, you pay the stupid tax. But sometimes we just keep paying them because we never learn. When the storms are raging, before you decide, get the facts. But 
Sometimes God's not clear, and sometimes the facts are inconclusive. What do you do then? Well, here's the third question. You ask, well, what does wise counsel say? What does wise counsel counsel say? Proverbs 19.20 says this. It says, listen to advice and accept discipline. Not just listen and do your own thing, but listen and follow the instruction. A lot of times we like to say, well, I got some advice. I got some counsel, but you didn't follow it. Maybe you asked your folks or an advisor or a pastor or a counselor or your life team leader. You asked somebody, and they gave you this advice, and I'm, that's lame. And because your heart wants to do what it wants to do, and you say, well, at least I asked advice. No, you didn't. Because it says, listen to advice and accept the instruction, follow the discipline, and at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. See, lots of people get advice and still do what they want to do. Or, or what they do is they keep asking and seeking advice until they find somebody who agrees with them. Two words for that. Stew. Pid. <laughs> that is stupidity defined. Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 22.15, The way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. But you also need to make sure you're seeking the right counsel. Proverbs 14.7 says, Stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge or wisdom or counsel or instruction on their lips. See, what we can can do sometimes, and unfortunately, is we go to seek counsel with the wrong individuals. So who are the fools? This is not in your notes. You can write this down. Who are the fools? Well, sometimes they're the friends. Just because someone loves you, doesn't mean they can give you good advice. Sometimes their eyes are clouded just like yours. They have the same immaturity or bad habits or the same confusion about it as you, and they're just going to tell you whatever you want to hear. The Bible calls that tickling of your ears. That means they they tell you what you want to hear. So sometimes even your friends can be the fools. Another one is the chaos lives. That means if you go to someone, before you ask them advice, look around at their life. There are some people, their life is like 24-7 crazy town, right? (laughs) Everything in their life is like out of order. So you got to ask, how's it working for you, man? It reminds me of like the guy at the bar who says he's having girl problems, and the guy next to him says, here, I'll give you some advice. I know all about women. I've had seven marriages. That's the chaos lives. Here's another fool, and that is the wicked lifestyle, worldly successful but wicked lifestyle. Proverbs 12, 5 says, The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. So sometimes we might look at someone who's financially successful, and we think, man, that's the person I need to talk to, even though you know their secret life, their purpose life, or their attitude or the way they treat people is wicked and, and not following God. And the Bible says, don't, don't, don't listen to that kind of advice. It is deceitful. It will lead you away from what God's ultimate plan is. So sometimes even uh, the successful can be the fool. And here's the last one. This is the Bible brainiac. This is the person who's man who knows about every verse in the Bible for every single situation. But just because they have Bible knowledge doesn't mean that they're speaking with wisdom or humility or actually living it out. We saw this in the Pharisees and the scribes of Jesus' time. The scribes were guys who actually were the human Xerox machines. They were the human machines that transferred the scripture from one piece of paper to a new piece of paper. They scribed it down. They were like the law they were the, the, the lawyers of the word. 
And then there were the Pharisees. Man, they memorized it. Man, they, they every right down to this tiny little minuscule, you know, issues of the law. But yet they were hypocrites. And the Bible says, man, these guys were filled with so much pride and arrogance and hypocrisy. They were the Bible brainiacs of Jesus' day. They were also the fools. So who are the wise? Who should you ask? Here's real simple. Those who have a track record of making good godly decisions. That means they got more wins than fails. That means they're authentic about it when they fail, and they have a track record of making good godly decisions. Their record is, is clear. True wisdom is not learning. This is, you can write this one down. True wisdom, wisdom is not learning by your own mistakes, but rather learning from others' mistakes. That is the truth. You want to be wise? Listen to the successes and failures of those around you. Okay, so what if God's word is unclear? What if the facts are fuzzy? And what if wise counsel is inconclusive? Here's the last question. It's this. How will this decision impact others? There's a simple dynamic verse in Philippians chapter 2 that gives us good direction actually when making all decisions. And this is, again, uh, when you're facing a hardship and you're not really sure how to, to handle this. Should I fight or should I flight? You know, you've went through the questions and, and you still don't have an answer. Here's the last answer. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That means don't do things for personal advancement, self-promotion, or self-pleasing arrogance. All right? He says this, rather... Make decisions in humility, valuing others above yourself, not looking to, to your own interests, not only to you, uh, some translations say, which we do naturally as we think we make every decision based upon our own comfort and, and you know, success, and, and we want ourselves to win. What if we made decisions that was based on letting the other guy win, letting the other person win? Imagine what kind of world, how much more rich would our world be as far as like relationship-wise if Christians made their decisions based on what would help the other person succeed over their own success. See, that is the core of the nature of Jesus Christ and what he's called us to do. This is opposite of everything the world says to do opposite of everything. That's why Jesus is a 180 from everything the world says. He says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationship with one another have the same mindset of Christ. And then it goes on to verse 11. He says, what's the mindset of Christ? It's this, God of all creation became a man and he walked the earth, not as a, as a, control freak who's, who rightly had every authority on the earth to ask and to do anything he wanted. He didn't build himself a kingdom and a big giant golden throne to sit on. No, he came and he served and he gave his life, not just giving his life, but he gave his life on one of the most disgusting, most embarrassing, most uh, insulting ways of death ever created, and that is the crucifixion on a cross. He says, humble yourself before each other. He says, have the same mindset of Christ. See, this is powerful decision-making. What does this do for others? We are no longer living for ourselves, but unto Christ. 
This is the question that separates the selfish baby from the mature. In a marriage, in a home, and at work, looking out for ourselves, the more selfish we are, the more destructive we are in our lives. So let's try this out for a couple uh, illustrations, a couple examples. Say you have a tough marriage, tough marriage situation. Well, God, what should I do? My marriage is kind of not working out. Things are tough. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's difficult. Should I fight or should I flight? Well, what does the scripture say? Well, the scripture says stay put. Okay, the Bible says love and respect. You love regardless of whether she respects you, and you respect him regardless of whether he loves you. That's the miracle power of the love and respect. There are a few out clauses, however, abandonment, uh, adultery, but those don't have to be the nail in that coffin. You can still push through the sins of your partner and see God work, but those are out clauses. So what are the facts? Well, unfair assumption of the facts. Sometimes you like to take those clauses and force them into a reason because you just want to go. Well, what are the facts? What are your motives? What does wise counsel say? Not just friends and family because they're going to side with the one they love, you. How does this affect others? How will this affect the kids? What does this mean for our future together? What does this mean for our lives? Here's another example. Tough money situation, upside down in our finances. We're like massive amount of debt. Uh, should, I, should I pay all my debt and, and, and struggle or should I, should I file bankruptcy? What should I do? Well, what does the Bible say? Well, the scripture says pay your debts, but the scripture also gives an allowance for bankruptcy. Bank, bankruptcy is in the Bible. It's called the year of Jubilee, and every seven years, people were released from their debt, and they were given this opportunity to start over and fresh without that burden of debt living with that pain and that suffering, you know, on their back and on their heart and mind. All right, well, what are the facts? Can I get out of this legally and ethically? What is wise counsel? And I'm going to talk about your attorney, and I'm going to talk about your parents. I'm talking about wise counsel, those that have a successful track record, who are living righteous lives, what do they say about it, okay? Let's try the next one. Money is tight. I want to move in with my boyfriend. I feel like this is the best thing that we can do to save money. We want to get married one day. What does Scripture say? Well, the Bible's pretty clear on this. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't move in together, all right? It honors God when you, when you live holy lives, and God, you're building a trust foundation for a marriage that's going to be successful. So just push through, stand through, endure, persevere, and when you get married, you'll be, whoo, man, it's great being married, and we don't have a lot of sin that we have to repent of. <clears throat> How about going back to school? Should I go back to school? You know, you're an adult. Should I, what should I do? Well, what does Scripture say? Well, nothing. doesn't say anything about this. Uh, what about my motivation? That might be a Scripture thing. Am I pursuing selfishly this uh, goal? Well, what are the facts? What's the price? Is it affordable? Can I do it with the loans? Will this help my ministry? Uh, what's wise counsel say? Well, that's inconclusive. How does this affect others? This is where I personally involved this. See, my goal was to uh, go back to college um, and, and get my doctor by the time I was 30. And guess what? I didn't do that. I didn't end up going to school. Uh, and I did, after I got my, my uh, after I graduated from Bible College, Christ for the Nation, Dallas Baptist University, I never went back. I graduated, but I didn't get, go back and get my master's and my, my uh, doctorate. And every year, I'm like, I've got a whole folder uh, on my computer filled with, with college information, but I have to ask myself. I go through this list, money, time, ministry, how well I part for church, and, and I can get through all that filter, but it stops dead at how will this affect my family. And all of a sudden, I realized, you know what? This is going to affect others in a bad way, so I don't go back to school, right? Now, there might be a season when I get to do that, and some of you, it doesn't affect your family the way that it would mine because of the way uh, ministry schedule is, but that was for me, right? These four questions can help you in the middle of a fork in the road when you're not sure which way to go. But 
Maybe you're in a trial right now. And maybe you're facing temptation right now. And maybe you have fallen into temptation and you're dealing with your poor choice and it's hard. Or maybe you're in the midst of a storm and a hardship. The Lord is here and he is with you. And I want to leave you with this verse right here. Philippians 1.27. Once you've made a decision, what do you do now? This. Whatever happens. I love this. Whatever happens. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence. That means whether my plans work out and I get to be there or whether my plans don't work out. Whatever happens, he says, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. You see, this is not about avoiding trials. This is about being where God wants me because that's the best road to be on. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord. Uh, We just give you praise and honor, uh, Lord, for this opportunity to be together to worship and, and to hear your word. And God, I thank you that you have uh, challenged us today to follow you. And Lord, some people are at a fork in the road right now. Uh, are they going to serve God or are they going to serve themselves and, and continue to be the king of their own life? When God is calling you, uh, whoever you are in this room, God is calling you to not sit on the throne of your life, but to let Jesus sit on the throne of your life. And you're faced with that decision right now. The fork is in the road. What should you do? Will you run from this or will you embrace this and stand firm in knowing that God loves you, cares for you, and has called for you to be in relationship with him? How will you respond today? I want to give you a chance to say, Jesus, yes, here I am. So uh, I want to encourage you all to, to pray this prayer with me. It's just a simple prayer, and I'm going I'm to have you pray it in your own words. I'm going to walk you through it, but you just pray it in your own words. If you're here and you'll be like, you know, I want to make that decision, then just take a moment and talk to Jesus. Let's start by this. Just tell Jesus that you love him. God, I love you so much. God, thank you for loving me, giving your life for me. Go ahead and tell Jesus, thank you for the cross. God, thank you for the cross that you took for my sake to forgive me of my sin. Now just take a moment and tell Jesus uh, that that you want to give him your life. Say, Jesus, here's my life. Here's my sin. Forgive me of the choices that I made that haven't been very wise. God, here's my heart. Here's my life. I give that to you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, Father. I lay it at your feet. Forgive me of my sin of following myself rather than following your plan. God, you know I've messed it up in some ways. Father, I want that to change today. Now, just take a moment, if you're still praying that prayer, and just tell them thank you. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for receiving me. God, I choose you. I choose you. Sit on the throne of my heart, Jesus, on the throne of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer in in your own words, hopefully, and and you, and you did that with humility, God embraced you, welcomed you, and you're part of the family of God. And I'd like to encourage you. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.